We just started dreaming, like, how could we create something so warm and unique and welcoming like this in America? Because I've never been to a wine shop like this. Uh, and, you know, of course, it was very French, but, like, how could we create something similar? Not the same thing, but, you know, be inspired by it. Hello, and welcome to Food Crush, the On Milwaukee podcast for people who eat, and in the case of this entire month, uh, months we've been doing a lot, uh, drink. I am your co-host, Matt Miller, culture editor at OnMilwaukee.com, and I am joined, as always, by Lori Frederick, dining editor at OnMilwaukee.com. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm, I'm doing great. I can't complain. It's a good Monday. Well, that's good. How about you? I'm, you know, I'm okay. I had a great weekend watching March Madness. Uh, we are reporting to you from March 20th. And uh, unfortunately, this is a Marquette defeats day. Uh, they lost in the second round like a bunch of chumps. They got our hopes up, smashed them to bits. Uh, thanks a lot. It's just my emotions. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, could be worse. Could be Purdue. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, feeling pretty good. So... But yeah. Did you watch any March Madness this weekend, Lori? I did not. Because truly, I mean, if I had to watch basketball, college basketball but would be the thing. But no, I had page proofs come on Friday. For Oh, uh, look at you yeah. sounding like, ooh, I'm equally to it. I have page proofs going. I'm a cool person who does, who achieves oh, things. Unlike no. some people, who <laughs> just sits on a couch and watches people he won't remember shoot baskets. That's not true. That's not true. And I haven't really talked about it, but I do have a book coming out in the fall. And when it gets Humble to the stage, um, page posts are no fun. Um, it's just you've looked at something too many times. In fairness, the whole process of writing a book sounds not fun. One could say that. Having, a book, <laughs> having the book written is way more fun. The, it's the, the I, I hate writing. I love having written. Classic. That's how books fail to me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'm gonna let other, I'm gonna let enough other, about me because, I'm yeah, gonna, actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let other people take over the writing books part, and I'm gonna let you take over the introducing our guest part of this intro because we have some awesome guests today, plural guests, plural. We do we do? Yeah, we have two great guests today. Um, we're here with Rebecca Button and Gerald Hall, and if you don't know, they are the owners of Selma Carroll Wine Merchants. Um, I'll let them tell the story about the name of their um, wine shop. Um, but we're so glad that you could join us today to talk about your your space. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Thanks, thank guys. you so much for having this. Yeah. So can you do us a favor and everyone and just kind of give us a synopsis, a summary about Selma Carroll Wine Merchants? Um, what do you guys do? What is your specialty? Sure. So as the name implies, we are a firstly and foremostly a wine shop. Um, but we're so much more than that really when it comes down to it. So we also sell, uh, spirits, a wide variety of spirits and beer and, uh, tobacco products, cigars and Mm. pipe tobacco. Uh, It's like fancy, fancy tobacco things. Fancy tobacco. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Uh, a, sof- a sophisticates tobacco. That's right, of course, aficionado. Uh, <laughs> so in addition to running the shop itself, we also have a kind of a bar offshoot that allows people to come in and spend more than just 10 minutes picking up a bottle of wine. Um, 
we we serve by the glass, uh, wines and spirits, and beer. So um, it really comes down to providing a, a little extra something on top of the hey, I need a bottle for dinner. I need a case for a party, that kind of thing. So I have to jump to the obvious first question. Who's who's Thelma? Who's Carol? I can or is that a, who's Thelma Carol? <laughs> <laughs> Thelma Carol. Or I, I can take that one, Gerald. Um, well, first and foremost, Gerald and I are a husband and wife duo, even though we have two different last names. We own the store together. And Thelma and Carol are our grandmothers. Uh, Thelma was Grandma TJ. Well, she was Thelma June, but everyone called her TJ. Um, and my and that she was Gerald's grandmother. And Carol is my grandmother. Grandma TJ passed about sixteen years ago, and my grandma Carol um, is still around and living her best Chicago grandma life um, <laughs> as, as she has for the last 80 plus years. <laughs> uh, so we named the store after our grandmothers because they were extremely influential, strong women in our lives. Um, and uh, they were both career librarians, um, which is kind of the aesthetic feel of our shop. When you come in there, it's very cozy. It's warm. There are a lot of antique um antique furniture, like velvet curtains, uh, warm antique coloring. We really wanted it to be uh, this very warm and cozy library feel, uh, which reflects, you know, the the vocation that both of our grandmothers, um, you know, partook in. Gerald also has a library background. He has a master's in library science. So uh, there's a little bit of his um, his world and his education in there as well. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of library going on. And yeah. the shelves, rather than being filled with books, are filled with wine. And yes, sounds like a 100% wine. improvement. I yeah. love libraries, but I always think to myself, what if we replace some of these books with alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I have yet to see somebody walk into the shop and just start reading the labels and then leave, like, you know, like, oh, I learned a lot. Thank you for this uh, yeah. experience. I've heard of the Dewey Decibel System. What about the Boozy Decibel System? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> there we go. And with yes. that, I leave the podcast. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> It's been real. Thank you for having me. Uh, and, and I was gonna, I was gonna stop there, but um, but I'm gonna add it. You also cannot check out your wine and bring it back because that's true. You know, just yeah. bad. No, it's not going to come back the same. <laughs> no, no late fees, you know, nothing like that. So, <laughs> but but I, but I did think it's kind of incredible, really, to have two grandmothers on either side of the family that both were, you know, because I'm I'm certain that work work as a librarian is not so unusual, you know, for women who lived, you know, in a certain era, um, but I don't think it was a job that a ton of people had you know yeah, uh, it is kind of remarkable that did but you'd be surprised too uh how many librarians or people who have been involved in libraries in one way or another come into the store so uh, i don't think they're there because of that specifically but it's uh, a funny coincidence that you do see quite frequently well and and probably a number of people because it can't be the only one i did work i worked at a library you know as a teenager as a, I think they called us pages, and we basically mm -hmm. shelved. We basically just shelved books all day, but um, 
but that, I don't know. It was kind of an incredible job. Um, I later took a job at a bookstore, um, which is a little bit more exciting. But, you know, shoving old library books is strangely charming. And some, and once you get used to it, kind of mindless. So it's one of those things where you can sit there and think about all the other things in your life um, yeah. while you're doing it and, and getting paid. So I'll never. <laughs> I also worked at a library. So I my, my work-study job in college was at uh, the Monroe County Public Library. I went to IU, so I was not upset that Purdue lost. Um, and I am, I am sad that IU lost to Miami. So they are also. Say, we can have a mutual hatred of the hurricanes. These yeah. yeah. So, but I was not sad whatsoever that the number one seeded Purdue got out of. <laughs> shout out, shout out, Farley Dickinson. You're a bunch of real ones. <laughs> I don't know where you are or what you are, but shout out, Farley Dickinson. Uh, yeah. So. So we, we kind of covered this a little bit, but what would you say distinguishes your shop? And I mean, I think, you know, I think that the the type of um, of items that you carry for sure, you know, with the tobacco edition um, and not all wine, some wine shops do have spirits, but not all of them. Um, but as far as I think where you guys focus, um, I think is a little bit interesting, you know, kind of in all of those areas. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the, the, one of the overriding kind of goals of <clears throat> when we were establishing kind of just putting the business together, um, ideologically, we wanted this to be more of a, a place where an experience with wine happens rather than a transactional kind of situation, you know, purchaser to cash register person. Um, and so that's really taken shape in a number of areas. Uh, not only does the bar bring that another dimension to the experience, but also all of these crazy events that we keep having, um, which <laughs> crazy fun. Just, that is crazy, I, fun. crazy fun. Absolutely. <laughs> I get bored easily. So I'll just sit there and come up with an idea for a tasting event or there'll be a random <laughs> holiday that is, you know, Scottish in origin or there'll be a wine holiday coming up, a national, quote unquote, nationally recognized wine <laughs> uh, Which is always fun to look at the calendar. I'm like, who puts all this together? Like somebody's very ambitious about these kinds of things, but we take full <laughs> advantage because why not? Uh, celebrating life um, in a place, you know, we own the shop, so it's an extension of our lives. So celebrating life and, and doing fun things in the store is our way of interacting, um, with the, 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 the guest kind of on our own terms, but in, it's an invitation to participate. As we, we really, when we were putting together the idea of our store and we were inspired by so many things, we can talk about that a little bit, specifically a shop that we were incredibly inspired by. Um, that is in France, actually. It's not anywhere here in the United States. Um, but, you know, this is, as Gerald says, like this, this is our business. This is an extension of ourselves. We poured a lot of heart and soul into building this space, which we did. 90% of the work um, in terms of painting, building, and finishing and cleaning. So it really is 
um, a huge piece of us, and we want people. Ev- we wanted a place where everyone feels welcome, and it's it's an extension of our heart and our home. So, um, we really have a lot of passion in what we what we bring to the bar and what we bring to the shelf. Hmm. That's awesome. We we I just wanted to hop back. We we talked so much about the library side of things. How did you get to wine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your back your your backgrounds are awesome. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, like, just what's just one day they had an idea, like <laughs> wine shop. We ran out of books, yeah. and I just yeah. I'll let I'll let Gerald talk a little bit about how he came. You know, went from getting a master's in library science to becoming a sommelier. He'll he can tell that story. Well, so Ooh. funny, funny enough, the library thing kind of came right in the middle of my entire uh, you know experience with wine. I started. When I moved to to Bloomington, Indiana, I'm I'm originally from California. I'll just say that real quick. Sacramento. Um, oh, hey, are you excited about the Kings? Sorry, this has been a real basketball podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> sadly, I have I have uh, very little experience to to lend to that <laughs> discussion. Uh, that seems that seems fair. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think much. <laughs> Sacramento has not gone to the playoffs since uh, the Bush administration, so I oh. I think they've. I think they've checked out of uh, caring about their basketball team. I do remember going to free games and and um, because back then it, they just needed people to be there. So uh, you know, <laughs> they just that was a long time ago. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, lots of free purple and silver and black um, <laughs> swag was passed off to me as well. Um, in any case, yeah, I moved to Indiana in two thousand and five. Um, and that's really where everything started here. So I, I started working for a small store that had a really good beer selection. So I actually kicked off this whole thing in, in beer. Uh, then I worked in a, in a restaurant, um, that was more wine focused. And so one thing led to another, I took a break from the whole industry. Uh, and that was when I went to school to get my master's for the library of science. Can, can, and, I, can I ask what? took you from California to Indiana or to Indiana? Yeah. Um, that the, could be random. <laughs> it, it was kind of random. Yeah, ultimately it was kind of random. I know, I know everybody moves to Indiana for the weather, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well, yeah. anyway, Sacramento is the Indiana of California. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I've heard, I've heard similar things. Yeah. I think it's gotten better. I don't know. I have not lived there in quite some time. Sorry, sorry, sorry to slander Sacramento. Sorry for any Sacramentans listening to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Gerald's parents. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. We love Sacramento. Sacramento's great. <laughs> yeah, Lady Bird, great movie. Lady Shout Bird. out Lady Bird here. Really, yeah, great movie. Sacramento, you were. Yeah, <laughs> I did go to the thrift store that uh, is featured in that many times. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. a real place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, I think in two years, Sacramento is just going to be another suburb of, of the Bay Area. So <laughs> eventually we'll just be calling it. That's actually, that yeah. is, is increasingly true. Yeah. And for most, for most people on the coast, the Midwest and the middle of the country is just a suburb of New York and Los Angeles. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's Absolutely. how they, that's how they treat flyover country. <laughs> well, I tell people in Europe, oh yeah, we, I've, um, I opened a wine shop in Chicago. Oh yeah, I get that. Okay, <laughs> that's the the closest <laughs> place that people outside us, the Midwest, know. 
And so, yeah. Oh, so where were we? So, we went to Indiana. You worked at the, the restaurant and the place with the really great beer selection. That's right. And and so so then Rebecca, how did how did you end up with wine? So well, um, but oh yeah, no, Gerald, you need to. I was gonna say Gerald's story. Gerald's stories. Oh, we still have we need. That's right, we still have. Yeah, <laughs> it's long and complicated. So yeah, sorry for. Um, oh no worries, weaving in and out. So after I graduated, I decided that I I really wanted to go back into wine specifically. So um, I got another job. Eventually, I worked for a wholesale distributor and learned way more there than I had in restaurants. Just the nature of the work. You, you become, by proxy, a educator as well as a salesperson because you have to know what you're talking about, what you're selling. Um, and then shortly thereafter, got a job uh, working in a very small, fun um, restaurant slash retail experience. And there, uh, springboarded into studying for my SOM, uh, exam passed. What was that? What was that like? Cause I've seen the documentary. I've seen the, the <laughs> I assume you have too, because anyone who I, likes wine has seen that documentary and it's sequels. Yes. Uh, sequels. But is, is it as stressful as the, as the movie makes it seem? Well, I did not, I decided not to climb that high. Um, so <laughs> I am technically a certified sommelier, which is, uh, the first of three levels. Uh, the guys in the film are doing their third level. Yeah, okay. Like but still, master. I mean, level no, they, one they're is, is doing still their fourth one. level. There's four levels. Correct. The first yeah. one doesn't really count. So yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it totally but that's three. It definitely counts. <laughs> That's still <laughs> awesome. Like, I wish I could walk around and tell people I'm any level of software. <laughs> well, it's fun. So the way they have it set up is actually very helpful. They want people to progress, even though by the time you reach the master level, there are only 400 and some odd of uh, master psalms in the entire world. Um, the initial kind of breakout is a course that you take over the uh, over a weekend. And then after, oh, okay. after that's, lo learning, that's level one, after learning a number of, uh, techniques, specifically blind tasting and an introduction to the more academic part of the whole thing, um, they have you wait so that you can taste wine in an environment that is kind of led by this, uh, guide that they put together. And then you test for the certified level, which in my opinion is level one, but that's just my own opinion. So when you're all awesome. I am a certified SOM, yes. Um, it was a lot of fun. In fact, you are spending quite a bit of energy and time learning the ins and outs uh, in a rather academic and rigorous format so that you can then take all of that muscle memory and apply it in a much more fun environment like restaurant <laughs> or in my case retail so you study hard you play hard and then <laughs> the end result is you know quite a bit about wine that helps other people learn wine as well that's wild do you uh, i i just get so fascinated like how do you taste how do you tell the differences in taste honestly like i know it's like a kind of on some level like a natural thing but how can you like how how is your tongue so good? Which is a very strange question. 
<laughs> but I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's, it, there are parts of it that are natural. Uh, some people have more acute, uh, uh, um, their, their sense of taste and their sense of smell is heightened naturally. Um, but I really do think that I am, I'm fond of telling people, especially in these kinds of situations where in a retail setting, someone will come up to me and say, oh, I know nothing about wine, but I like it. Okay. Well, that's a great start. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that everyone can, can go through the process of becoming a deductive taster because it takes a lot of time and energy, but I think that most people, if they sit down and try to work this out, uh, will become much better at enjoying wine, which is, in my opinion, the whole point. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun way to explore your brain. Let's put it that way. Oh, that, sure. is a, that, is, that is a cool way to look at it. <laughs> and it's, you know, yeah, it's one you know one way to just like keep developing your palate and it's just for lack of a better phrase it's just to drink a lot of wine <laughs> it really i mean and that was part of you know gerald's studying for the psalm exam which was very fun for me because i got to drink <laughs> so much wine and i was uh, working in the same cafe wine bar bistro that gerald was um and we just had I, you know, he spent hours and hours and hours studying um, every day, but it was really fun because I got to learn how to de deductively taste and to kind of you know, taste through the grid. So um, I learned it was a huge learning experience for me, too. Well, and yeah. part of that is kind of understanding, you know, the cross section of flavors that can actually appear, you know, in wine. And then once you kind of I, I feel like once you identify and I'm in no way. I'm terribly practiced at it, but there's a few things that I know for sure I can pick up, you know, and all of a sudden you'll be drinking a bottle and you'll be like, oh, I, I pick up on that. You know, once you've tasted it six or seven times and someone's been like that, yeah, that's what that is. You know, <laughs> uh, Cabernet is and, always and, going. Ultimately, everybody of... kind of tastes things differently, um, but, you know, there's, there's kind of commonalities. What you, pick out. what I think is often presents itself is just simply not necessarily an inability, but l a lack of vocabulary. And mm. that's really what it comes down to is, um, ultimately humans taste things and we can probably all agree that chocolate ice cream is not going to taste like blueberry ice cream. Um, and so when you just learn five or six words to help describe and make connections between the grape and what's in the glass, then you've kind of solved for that question mark factor in between here's the grape and here's my experience of the grape. And language is, is really the, I mean, it's the only way to do it when you're sharing the experience. Yeah. And I feel like you have to kind of drink, drink lots of wine, but also maybe talk about it, you know, for sure. Kind of. Yes. Excited to develop <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I was, I feel like I you know I've taken I've done a couple of tastings and every time I do one I take something you know my brain doesn't have the capacity to take everything away and remember it all but I will take something away you know um I remember 
<laughs> and this always comes up because I didn't know what sticks out in my mind. I, I'm always intrigued by the the more bizarre flavors. You know, I mean, like there's the barnyardy flavor, and, yeah. and there's actually a term for it that I never ever recall. Um, but it's a very similar well, flavor the, yeah. that you end up with in cheese, and it's one of those flavors where if there's too much of it, it becomes a deficit. But oh, yeah. little of it can be yeah. Kind well, of there's the, the the famous line in in the Psalm documentary where he says it smell it, it, it tastes like a can of newly opened tennis balls. Yeah, and, tennis okay. balls. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think he may just be a lunatic, but <laughs> <laughs> although although there's a, like a rubbery um, smell for sure. Oh yeah, that's the um, petrol that you'll find in some reason. Yeah. 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 So so he's not but crazy. <laughs> no, no, I don't think he's crazy. I don't play tennis, though, so I don't really have the uh, experience. <laughs> so, so then, Rebecca, then how? What? What kind of we? What? What kind of made you excited about wine? Was that? Was this kind of a you know working in like a restaurant slash service industry thing, or were were you kind of always interested by it? Um, definitely uh, the former. So I would say I. So when I graduated from college, um, I, you know, studied English literature and art history. So naturally, I went into serving tables. Um, like I went into, um, I did work in marketing for a little while, but I honestly missed uh, the customer service and the hospitality um, aspect of, of uh, you know, being a server. So I worked in every kind of serving situation you could think of from a microbrewery to a distillery, Bloomington's first distillery. Um, I was one of their fir- first employees. It's called Cardinal Spirits. Um, they're now like pretty, have a little bit more uh, recognition. Um, and then I worked, and then where I met Gerald, so I met Gerald when I was working for a little bistro that uh, no longer exists unfortunately and it was one of Bloomington's like one one of their fine dining establishments it was called Finch's Brasserie um and I was working there and Gerald was um he was a wine rep at the time so I uh we that's how we met in the rest liter- in physically in a restaurant um and I will I do owe him a lot of where like my passion and um interest in wine came from because you know when I met him I was 23 years old and still drinking just awful things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that part of our no, But I also had, you know, he was a huge mentor to me, you know, um, in terms of in terms of getting into to that kind of um that kind of beverage area. Um, but I did have other mentors too, like in the industry, whether it was restaurant owners or um, the the two gentlemen who opened the distillery or or our friends who are microbrewers, you know, I just have really been surrounded by all these different kinds of people who um, sparked a lot of um, passion within me just in terms of, you know, what the product is, how it's made, how to sell it, um, and curating an experience. I would say, you know, in terms of what what I do for the store and what I'm passionate about is really creating um, a memorable, warm and welcoming atmosphere, um, and a and a fun, ex- like lovely experience for our patrons. Um, it's what I do now um, in my current career. I work f- um, as a marketing and events director for 
the downtown business improvement district. So I curate large scale events now. So kind of curating experiences is, is what I do. So. Yeah. So I'll pick out some cool wines that will blow people's minds, but without Rebecca there, um, no one would show up. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, it sounds like you might actually think of the ideas, um, for, for these excuses to get together, you know, <laughs> and then it becomes a Rebecca throws together those, you know, <laughs> well, you, you bring the booze and Rebecca throws them together. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I bring the floral arrangements. Well, for, for yeah. one, one event in particular that we just uh, hosted was Bubbles Fest, which absolutely, I mean, not obviously Gerald and I curated it together, but it was my like project and my baby. I wanted, I'm, in terms of the wine that I am most passionate about, it will always be sparkling wine um, across the board. It doesn't need to be champagne, although I love champagne. Um, like I really do love like almost all sparkling wine from $10 sparkling wine to um, to a lot more expensive than that. Um, so I, I don't want to. But I think that's one of the things to love about sparkling wine is that sparkling wine really does. I mean, there's quite a bit of sparkling wine for $10, like. Yes, ten dollars. Yeah. Like you can always find. You can pretty much just pick a cava yep. off the shelf. Yes, and spend ten bucks, and it will be just fine. Yeah, feel celebratory, and there's absolutely yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Bubbles Fest was you know we poured nineteen different sparkling wines. Um, it was a full like evening soiree like atmosphere. We had two guest professionals and Gerald behind the bar, and it was super. You know, it was a really fun time for people to try. You know, a lot of people who love sparkling wine are um, like they've probably had cava, probably had Prosecco, might have popped a bottle of champagne to celebrate something significant in their life. But there's so much other sparkling wine out there that a lot of people had, you know, they don't. What is a Cremant de Loire? What is a Cremant d'Alsace? You know, they, um, is it true that champagne can only come from Champagne, France? You know, so it was a lot of fun. Um, it was educational and experiential, and it was just a really great, great time had by all. And a lot of wine was was drank, so yeah. that was good. Yeah. <laughs> so how did the two of you end up in Milwaukee? Um, because if you hadn't, obviously, Selma, Carol, well, it might be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so We moved here um, in 2015 to be closer to my family. Um, My family lives in the area, um, Mequon, Brookfield, and then in in the Chicago area too. So uh, we wanted to be, we didn't want to leave the Midwest um, and we were ready for somewhere new. Um, And I had left Milwaukee when I was 17, so I didn't really know the city very well. so it was really exciting when I moved here. It was I. It didn't. It did not feel like I was moving home, but it didn't feel like I was moving home. I didn't really know that much about the city. I'd spent so much time um, in Southern Indiana, you know, in Bloomington with school, and then after graduating, you know, I lived there for another three years. So I was in Indiana for seven years. Um, so you came back at a good time because you know Milwaukee, the last decade or or so. Um, Pretty soon, it's going to be the last two decades. <laughs> I have to revise that. So, you know, has changed. You know, a ton about Milwaukee. Yeah. So you, you know, you came back at a time when, like, Milwaukee was equipped to be a city that you know people really could be attracted to and want to live in. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So be again, or for the first time. Yeah, we loved. I mean, we loved it immediately. You know, we lived with my folks for 
like a month um, and quickly found jobs. Um, my first job ever, shout out to Karen Bell. She was the first person to give me a job in Milwaukee. Um, and she's an incredible woman and a, and a role model that I've always really looked up to. She's a wonderful person. And of course, Bovette is incredible. Um, so that's the first job I had when I was here. And then I got hired by, um, by Melissa over at Odd Duck. And I worked at both of those places for a little while until I was able to be full-time at Odd Duck. Um, so that's kind of how I started into the Milwaukee hospitality, um, arena. Yeah. If you're going to have two, uh, jobs right at the outset, those are probably <laughs> good ones to have to get I got, connected. I got very, very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I got very lucky and I'm very Sorry. grateful for it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. And I had never, so, I had been to oh, just real quick. I had been to Milwaukee once or twice for holidays, you know, coming up to, to meet Rebecca's parents and, um, her extended family and, you know, Christmases, whatever, but same kind of thing. So we both moved here. I mean, I had only been here on a couple of occasions and really hadn't seen very much of the city. So we both showed up kind of wide eyed and bushy tailed and <laughs> it's been very fun to, you know, see and, and respond and be part of the growth here. I'm not, I'm biased as hell, but Milwaukee, good city. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. We are extremely happy to be here. <laughs> and to be in Walker's Point and to be part of the, the Walker's Point community. Um, and, you know, obviously the Milwaukee community as a whole, but Walker's Point specifically is, um, it has such a great base, great business owners, wonderful, interested residents. Um, so we're very very grateful to be where we are. Um, we had been eyeing that neighborhood for a long time. There really was nothing like our business there. You know, there's wine, there's wine shops on the east side and plenty in the third ward and Bayview has a few now, wine bars and, um, you know, nonfiction and everything. So we were, we were really excited um, to find our spot and take root in Walker's Point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it, and it's obviously like you guys had the backgrounds for it, but what made you, when did the idea come like, oh, we should do a wine shop. We should do it here. Oh, well, I suppose you could probably trace that back pretty far back. Uh, although it never really took shape, uh, until right to about the time of the pandemic, I suppose. Um, when you start seeing interesting things happen, um, and the, the light clicks on like, okay, I think it's time to actually do this thing that we've joked about doing for a long time and make it real and kind of see if this is uh, something that we can bring to life. Um, yeah. So I think ultimately we kind of played around with the idea of what it would look like and that kind of thing before we came up with the name. And then when we came up with the name, which was re totally Rebecca, um, all of the rest of the, the kind of aesthetic part of it just fell together. It was like kind of synchronicity, um, centering around the concept, um, and then deciding where we wanted to have it and 
one thing leads to another. You're looking at property and <laughs> writing business <laughs> plans and um yeah. yeah. It, it 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 happened very quickly. Yeah, raising the capital, you know, it all it, it all kind of did fall together and um the pandemic really, you know, just to reiterate what Gerald said, it really did light fire underneath like the two of us. Um obviously the pandemic changed everyone in the whole world so significantly. Um, you know, but we I I was fortunate to not to be able to keep working where I was working. Um, and you know, Gerald was working um in for a catering company at the time and he, you know, he you know obviously the inevitable happened where lots of cuts were made and he was able to find um, a job really quickly, but it kind of was like, let's like, all right, we're here. You know, some things have been, some, some things have, have happened that are out of our control. Uh, and like, let's get our, you know, let's get our stuff together and make this happen. And we went on one tour with our leasing agent one. And she showed us a couple of different places in Walker's Point um, and then the last one she showed us was 605 West Virginia. So, and we just immediately fell in love. And it was, I mean, it was a work in progress. Don't get me wrong. It was a total mess when we saw it. <laughs> but it was, well, and, it's, and, it's, and it had been vacant, you know. For so long. For a really long time. For so long. Yeah. So we, yeah, it, ever, like to Gerald's point, everything just kind of happened really fast. You know, we got, um, we really started dreaming about this. I'll I'll tell the the sweet and short version of the of the little wine shop that everyone should go visit in Lyon, France. It's called Antique Wines. Everyone should go. Um, so go if you're ever in France. Buy a plane ticket right now. Yeah, go right now. Um, <laughs> so so you said Antic? Antic yes. wines. Antic wines. Um, it is this beautiful little cellar of a wine shop. Um, you walk in, you know, it's, it's, it's France. So everything's from the 16th century. Um, and <laughs> we walk in and there's dozens and it's a small little cellar and there's dozens and dozens of bottles everywhere and they're dusty. And, you know, there's a sweet little French dog on the ground and the owner is, was tasting wine and he was so welcoming and warm. And he, um, like immediately poured us a little bit of wines that we could drink while we walked around his shop and we thought that was the most charming most wonderful thing ever we we're like oh really like he's like oh yeah like enjoy yourselves and it, the entire shop you go down into the basement and it's it's like a huge cavern it opens up and there's wine that is so old like like from the 1800s down there and like insane producers and it was like the most beautiful one of like a, just a very beautiful experience and you know obviously france is a very a lot of things are much older than they are here so we just started dreaming like how could we create something so warm and unique and welcoming like this in america because i've never been to a wine shop like this uh and you know of course it was very french but like how could we create something similar not the same thing but you know be inspired by it yeah we don't have a cave yeah there yeah. there is that kind of there there is that kind of aura and i think that it's kind of getting knocked down nowadays but there was this sense of like kind of gatekeeping isn't the right word with wine but a kind of sense of like don't come here if you don't know what you're doing and like this is like wine is for people who are serious about this stuff and you don't want to, I mean, I always joke with people and I mean it as a joke, but there is some of a truth of it. It's just like, I don't want to waste good wine on my stupid palate. <laughs> um, 
and it, uh, it is like you you hear about this uh, this place in the antic in 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 France, and it, it's like that is what it should be. It should be warm. It should be welcoming. It should be inviting for people who you know either know a ton about a wine or a little about a wine. And hopefully, we're reaching a point where it does seem like wine does seem to be coming. It it it. Uh, it, it seems to be uh, popular. Like, populist isn't the right word, but like it does seem more accepting to be like this wine is for everyone. It's not for snobs. Wine snobs need not apply. I yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I think <laughs> the especially now that we have a shop, I'm, having worked in them before, this applies as well. But especially because I'm the one who gets there with the key in the morning and I open the doors to my store walking into an, a situation where you're at the behest of somebody who categorically knows more than you can be very, very intimidating. And I don't want to be a store where I know more than somebody. I want to be a store where I know just enough to help you get exactly what you want to drink. And I think there's a big difference. Um, in the experience, when you have access to somebody's knowledge and it is offered to you because it's fun and we connect on these levels, that's that's way, way more uh, helpful than being handed a bottle of wine and saying, this is good, drink this. You should like this. <laughs> right. Yes. Really, yeah. 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 So this is an interactive experience that, that I think... Um, you know, really, we're we're very serious about making the wine, uh, the enjoyment of wine, accessible, um, and something to be celebrated on a regular basis. Uh, even if it's just you come home on your way to work and you stop in for a glass and you just kind of check your email for the last time and and say I'm done working and I'm gonna do all do all of that over whatever is being poured by the glass here at the bar. Um, or if you're scheduling a 10 person, you know, very, very specific tasting with us and you rent the whole space, you know, there's a lot of give and play, but the, the, the whole thrux of the issue, the whole point, uh, our whole goal is to, um, break down this kind of sense that uh, well, you have to somehow pass a test <laughs> of some kind in order to get a hold of this sacred knowledge and, and therefore like a, the sacred uh, ultimate enjoyment of wine. Yeah. Well, and, and we have a lot of, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because especially like wine as portrayed in movies, you know, in documentaries, I mean, so many people have, <laughs> you know, some or you know, oh, was the model shock? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And and all of those things have this tendency to come at wine um, from the perspective of oh, unless you know all of these things, you know, you can't possibly appreciate. <laughs> yeah. What this <laughs> is. Um, this is a and, and it's interesting because I haven't really seen that completely change. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, so you know. It's it's not difficult to imagine how you might feel that way, you know, walking into into shop like, ugh, 
I just, you know, I just don't know anything. Well, what's exciting is to see people, and I've been at this for 16 years, to see people over the course of this time, um, and I'm being people as in like overarching numbers of customers have become more and more increasingly interested, which is also a big thing. It's not just about feeling inadequate or, or whatever. It's if, if, if your whole, um, mentality is I want to know about this. And so I'm going to be intrepid that helps us quite a bit because you're coming to us for a specific reason, not just to get a bottle of wine, but to actually grow your level of experience. And so if I can help out with that, if Rebecca can help out with that, that's fantastic. That's even better than just saying, here's a great, um, Malbec. Here's a delicious suave from Italy. Um, and I think you're seeing more and more of that, which is really cool. The customer is becoming more interested in, um, having some information to, to utilize for their own benefit. Um, and so asking questions, keeping track of what they're tasting via apps or, uh, taking pictures on their phone, that kind of thing. Really cool. Um, and it's, it's really changing the face of what is being consumed on a regular basis, uh, across the board. Well, and I think I think it's great. I think we've talked about this before um, on the podcast for sure, just about how Milwaukee's interest, you know, in wine. I think I think for years, and and this is as little as maybe five or eight years ago, you know, that we we're always like, why aren't people here more excited or interested? And in, you know, these really cool wine lists. You know, restaurants would open with wine lists, and you know, there there's always a small percentage of people who are like, oh yeah, we want to explore that um but for the most part you know there's a time when you'd kind of be wasting your time putting something a little esoteric on the on a wine menu um because most people you know like they're just there just wasn't as much of an interest and i always kind of chalked it up to oh you know we've just been a beer town for so you know a beer town for so long it's much easier for us to get into cocktails because you know we have standbys like our wisconsin old you know, old fashioned and such. Um, and so that's been really fun to watch because, you know, and I'm not sure I know what, um, what prompted it, but I, I just think generally access, you know, more, more folks in the industry being interested and more retailers opening that operate, you know, cause, cause I would say that in the past four or five years, all of the, um, the wine shops that have opened, have opened with a very similar tact. It's kind of like, we just want to, we want to talk to you about this thing that we love. You know, we don't want you to feel intimidated. You, you know, come to us with nothing or everything. And, you know, we just want to chat, <laughs> you know, and help you find something that is cool. So, yeah. Um, well, and yeah, I think it should be said too. <clears throat> um, there is a very serious focus that we have when we apply um, the, the expertise and experience that we have in terms of bringing things to the shelf and putting them on the shelf, when I pick wines out for the store uh, and when we talk about what events we're having, all of these things are um, 
you know, there's a lot of thought that goes behind it, even though that thought may be at this point kind of, um, slightly, uh, accidental or even like unrehearsed, um, muscle memory, I suppose. Um, but the, what we, what we offer in terms of products is, um, very pinpointed, very focused. We want to be able to highlight, uh, interesting and unique varietals, uh, interesting and unique regions underrepresented, uh, would be another word to replace unique, <laughs> I guess. And in, in this situation, um, and so they, that includes, uh, all kinds of things. Um, the varietals, again, the regions, the winemakers themselves, techniques being applied. Um, and it's a fun way to tell a story about how there's so much more to wine. There's so much more to, um, uh, distillation to brewing, um, than just the kind of, uh, commercialized representation that a lot of people are getting exposed to on a regular basis. If you start shopping at small wine shops, you're going to immediately be, uh, asked to make a decision about where you go from here. Um, and I think that is probably the most important thing that we bring kind of a, it is slightly accidental, but it is the, the nature of what we do to, um, ask people to kind of like take a, a leap of faith with us. If you see something on my shelf and you've never had it before, you have no idea what it's like. Naturally you can ask me about it and whatever, but you still have to be on board. <laughs> um, which is, it, it is asking kind of a lot of the buyer, but I think that again, you start seeing this, uh, trend of people are super excited about that part of the whole experience. And, and am I, am I reading this right? That in some ways you're talking about that, that sense of trust that people build, like you guys have, have stocked your shop with certain wines. Um, and I'm assuming that reflects your taste in some ways. Um, and that, you know, people coming in and, um, and buying bottles, you know, sometimes I might ask about it, but sometimes I just might buy a bottle, um, based on the fact that they've had a good experience in the past and they trust, you know, your palate and your ability to showcase, you know, I mean, you go to the grocery store and you may find a good bottle of wine. May, you may. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of wine there that, you know, could be the bad wine, <laughs> the, not so, the not so great wine, you know, that we all drank when, you know, we were, you know, first turning 21, you know, because I, I know my probably the first bottle of wine I bought was probably in a grocery store, and it was probably use its name. It was called Boone's Farm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've never tasted Boone's Farm. That's weird. Um, but I didn't even bother with wine until I, until I was probably after I was twenty one. I was more likely to be drinking. I don't know wine coolers and things were yeah. Trendy when the, I was the blue one. Yeah. Yes, and now they've come back in, and, and they call them something else. Um, you know, <laughs> I feel like all the, you know, like, um, like yeah, the seltzers and all of that, like, yeah, sort of, everything is just sort of, you know, yeah. What right. happened to the spritzer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I'm certain that it was bad, but it probably had a pretty label or, you know, 
I looked at it and went, well, how many kinds of, you know... You saw that vaguely French word, so you were like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The less you can uh, pronounce it, the more enticing it becomes. Right. Right. Can I read the label? No. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. The the whole concept of trust is is important. Um, Building a clientele of people who are uh, repeated, you know, the, 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 the coming back because it seems to work between us, you know, uh, is is kind of why we do what we do. Um, I always tell people the very first time they come in, you know, after kind of gaining a sense of what it is they're looking for, what they like to drink, um, which is super important and the, the first step that I take to kind of establish something. But, you know, your first wine purchased at Thelma Carroll uh, is just hopefully one of many. And so that's a launching off point. So, um, I hope that trust is immediate on that first bottle, but <laughs> so far it seems to be working. Um, <laughs> but I always tell people like, Hey, this is just a, this is the beginning point, you know, like this, hopefully you'll be back and this is a relationship we're going to kind of cultivate. Um, and I hope that this first bottle is, is the right is the right, you know, step in the right direction. Um, and admittedly, there's probably a there's probably a group of people, and maybe they don't ever go into a small white shop like Thelma Carroll. Who knows? Um, but there's going to be people who just don't want to bother, you know, who just want to go into their big wine, um, you know, wine club, big, huge wine, big box wine shop. Yeah. Peruse around, look at price points, grab bottles, you know, and be done. And then there's, then there's the sort of person who really thrives and wants to be a part of what you guys offer. Absolutely. And and maybe you see a mix and maybe you don't because I I don't know if people who are of the, the first type of buyer, you know, even bother, you know, to step into the smaller shops, but I th- you know, we're, oh, sorry, Gerald. But, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, as far as our client, we get so ma- so many different kinds of people from so many, for so many reasons why we're there sometimes. You know, I, we, I'll, I'll do another shout out because they have been incredible neighbors and friends to us. But our friends at Great Lakes Distillery really have been like gosh they're like our brand you know they're like our brand managers almost or like ambassadors they tell people about our store all the time um and they're so kind you know they're a cocktail bar and a craft distillery um they can't have wine we really do have like they legally can't sell wine um and we have this like really wonderful working relationship with them and um you know guy has been such a good um contact and a good person to us so we get a lot we get a lot of people coming from out of town who might have just done a distillery tour. I think what's fun about our store is that not one thing that's fun is yes, like the focus is the wine shop, but having the bar component has been pivotal, like has been absolutely um, pivotal in like creating an experience for people because there are a lot of people that come in there that don't want to drink wine. They want to drink bourbon or they want to drink whiskey. They want to drink scotch. Um, you know, we currently don't have a cocktail program, which can some people, I wouldn't say throw, throws them off. They're just like, oh, okay. Like I see this big, beautiful back bar. I can't have a martini. And they're like, well, that's just kind of not what we do here. But like, I'm happy to sample some gin to you or, and 
they love it. It's a kind of a different way of approaching the product, um, being able to try a lot of different things. Um, you know, one thing one thing we also have a lot of passion and you know interest in specifically are vermouth and amaro and digestifs. We have quite the collection, and Gerald's very passionate about that. So that's a kind of another fun component too. So you know, just like going back to like what what is bringing people in there, like it's there's so many different way so many different angles in which people can approach the business which i think is really fun and dynamic yeah it really is a it's a beverage playground for <laughs> grown people it is. I mean, we also have we also have beer too so if we have people come in there but i will say you know it's really interesting for as big as a beer town as milwaukee is like most of our most of our patrons are not there for beer like they are there for wine and spirits and vermouth, yeah. No, yeah. we did pour a lot of Guinness. The, the, the wine, the, the wine merchants in your name, probably. Yeah. Also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but looking for beer, that's probably not coming up in my Google search. Yeah, that's true. But, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but we talked about this, and I remember. I mean, you guys carried um, some wine, even when you first opened, which was about a year ago. My, it'll be a year yeah. in July. Okay. Oh, so just just under a year. Very nearly. Um, yeah. Time is moving quickly. Uh, <laughs> you know, you had some wines found the American Wine Project. Um, and we actually just um, interviewed her on the Fit Crutch podcast um, to talk about, you know, what she's doing. Um, and kind of what has been your take? Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious how, you know, how her stuff sells um, from the from the retail standpoint. Um and kind of what your take is on the movement, you know, to make Wisconsin, um, for lack of a better way of describing it, kind of a legitimate wine region. Um, and I know she has all sorts of thoughts on that. And some of it just boils down to sustainability. Like, well, what happens? <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. the world will be better if we all just made wine in our spaces. Um, totally. But but I guess I guess what are your what are your thoughts on that? Because um, it's been something that's been floating through my brain. There are a few wineries in Door County that are sort of, sort of doing similar things, um, and I don't know. It makes me, it makes me wonder um, where this could go. You know. Well, I yeah, absolutely. I think, <clears throat> I mean, firstly, that Aaron is doing such a good job at at expressing both the. Um, the agricultural and physical part of winemaking, but also the uh, philosophical part of it. Um, And I think that for all of the talk uh, about, oh, wine is, is this thing that I believe in and stuff like that, she's actually, like, she's really legitimately doing that. Um, and almost kind of has to given her situation in terms of like growing and vinifying these very odd varietals in a place that is often associated with something of, of, um, questionable quality. And it's really cool that she is spearheading this along with a couple of other people. So it's really amazing that we can put those, uh, attempts well, let's call them successes. <laughs> They're in the bottle. They taste good. Those successes on the shelf, um, and 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 further her 
kind of um, quest, her uh, trajectory. Because um, I feel like you guys are an important part of that. You know, by selling that wine and kind of telling that story, it intrigues people who would never, who aren't going to go venture up to Mineral Point sure, to find this woman doing this really, you know, bizarre, <laughs> taking on this really, you know, bizarre task, uh, which I think is how kind of some people look at it. Um, because Wisconsin does not come up in wine conversations, you know, typically. Currently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I keep asking, you know, I keep asking everyone, like, like how long do you think this will take? You know, um, <laughs> and, and the default answer is like, well, at least a decade, right? Before, if, if things progress as they are and more people really get interested in this, that, you know, maybe in a decade we'll have talk about Wisconsin maybe in the way that people talk about the Finger Lakes region or something, you know, of that nature. And I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but a yeah. little part of me is like, ooh, but right now we're holding on to this funny little secret, you know, that people are still figuring out. Of course. Yeah. I think it's really fun. Well, we love having Aaron's wines and I love talking about them to customers. I mean, we definitely have a significant amount of people who come in and who love natural wine. Um, and have um, a discerning palate for it and or, or like an, an adventurous palate too. When we talk about having, hosting um, any kind of labels that are made in Wisconsin, um, almost immediately most of the clientele, um, if they don't already know about Aaron, um, they're like, you have Door County wine here? And said, actually, we no, we don't. We don't have cherry wine here, but we do, we do have this incredible product from this female winemaker in Wisconsin, and it like and it's really fun to talk about it and kind of open people's minds to it because a lot of people have no idea that wine is made in Wisconsin at all. So that gets exciting too. So to just kind of maybe maybe they've had you know prairie fumé from yeah well yes. you know. yeah maybe yeah yeah you know so and uh, and maybe they've maybe they've had that and figured they should try it because you know there's a French dude behind it. Um, versus no, I mean, like, yeah. I, I think it's interesting how, I mean, and I'll say like that I came to the table, <laughs> and this is only a couple of years ago, with a pretty heavy, healthy skepticism, you know, about Wisconsin wine. Um, partly because, you know, we, yeah, we make fruit wine, but we don't even like really take our fruit wine. We just started making fruit wine because we had fruit. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to, you know, I don't know, carry on was the, a little the little culture like of fruit wine. Yeah. Like, as it was it a little bit of a novelty, kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah. you know, if you talk to folks in Europe and there's a, you know, there's a segment and people who make fruit wine who take that, like, as seriously as they would take grape wines, you know, I mean, and it's just a different category. And um, for us, it was more like, I don't know. Isn't this a fun, quirky thing we do? <laughs> well, well, we have, a, I guess we have all this fruit. What should we do with it? We yeah. Came like, oh, let's make a shop. No, let's make wine, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it became yeah. a form of preservation. And yeah. You know, it was never something that you'd be like, have you had this fruit? Oh, it's so, yeah. I'm going to talk about this like it's a serious thing. Well, it's, yeah. Because absolutely. it is. What I would like to see too happen, um, and, you know, Great Lakes is doing this and some other people as well, but. You know, fruit wine also lends itself to distillation and the eau de vie culture, especially in France, um, I mean, Germany, Austria, it's a very serious thing over there. They, they really like their brandies. 
Um, so maybe the, the, if, if we all get off on the right foot, uh, in terms of making good wines from grapes or other fruits, distillation will maybe follow that too, to some degree. But yeah, that's, I do think that the Wisconsin wine situation is, is, a, is it an illustration kind of of so many other types of industry where if the right people continue doing what they believe in, eventually many, many more people will notice and it will become part of the culture. You know, we didn't get uh, the... Chardonnay and Ca uh, Cabernet did not become, you know, dominant varietals simply because they're inherently better. It was a lot of culture and decision making, and I, I suppose uh, let's marketing. Marketing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know if Erin wants to have her wines be featured in Vogue magazine in the next couple of years, but that's, that might be helpful if she could somehow pull, pull that off. Well, well interestingly, like she's gotten quite a bit of national press, um, yeah. which isn't, is it hasn't been the case, you know, with a lot of, a lot of previous attempts, um, different attempts, um, from what she's trying to do. But, yeah. um, and that's, that I found really, really fascinating too, is that, you know, you can occasionally Google, something related to wine and American wine project pops that's up. Great. Like, that's so great. It's crazy yeah. and awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, so I don't great. think it's gonna take ten years to be no. maybe cautious or uh yeah, optimistically uh optimistic. <laughs> but, um <laughs> optimistically we, optimistic. Yeah. I, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely in the right spot in the world, uh in the economy and the winemaking um kind of milieu for th for this to become uh, a much more recognized thing much more quickly than it probably would have let's say 10 years ago um things change rather quickly now um comparatively and again i think it goes back to the the concept that the people that are leaving their houses to go find wine to drink whether it's at a restaurant bar or bring back with them to their houses are more interested and more educated now than they have been ever um and a lot of the a lot of the movement towards experimenting um with purchases uh is a is a direct reflection of of the experimenting with winemaking technique and um varietal usage the whole um eastern european uh wine industry is really starting to pick up more than it has um, and that's bringing new, well, not new techniques or at least styles, um, to the consumer. Yeah, the, it's kind, I mean, of, kind of unearthing things. In yeah. A lot of cases that, Absolutely. you know, folks have been doing for centuries. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny cause you know, in, in talking with Erin and, and she sort of said, oh, people are going to kill me for saying this, but she sort of called the natural wine thing a fad, um, but and I didn't think about this as we were talking about it, but I th I think natural wine has the opened a door to what she's doing because natural wine is all over the map in terms of like 
what you're going to taste in that bottle. <laughs> you know, like these are wines that sometimes taste nothing like, you know, what the benchmark is. Absolutely. Varietal, you know, I mean, um, and they just go different ways and it doesn't mean they're undrinkable or, you know, they might be, you know, they're just enjoyable in this in this other way. Um, and it's and, and and if you get into that, as I kind of have and, you, you know, you pick up bottles and you're like, every bottle is like a like for me like a little bit of roulette and you open it maybe you like it maybe you don't like it usually it's not you know like it's drinkable you know and you go through and you're like the decision to buy it or not buy it again you know is one you probably want to make and you're kind of like maybe i'll try this next year (laughs) because it won't be the same um and um and so for her to for her to say that she, she she could very well be right but I think it's cool that it's opened the door to other things because um, if you can handle the uncertainty of natural wine, you can certainly handle the uncertainty of a grape that doesn't taste like something else. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's important to, this This is going to become more and more of a, a thing, I think, but people view wine as a uh, predictable, stable kind of um a priori, a priori, never mind, I can't speak. Uh, I know the word. <laughs> like, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I practiced that before this interview and it came out perfectly, of course. <laughs> um, it, 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 it does not just exist in and of itself. It is a, it is a, um, it's so much more complicated than that. And like, this concept that like every single time I go to reach for that Pinot Noir, it's going to taste exactly the way I want it to is, uh, it, it, you have to do a lot of abuse to the wine to make that a sure thing. And it, Mm -hmm. it involves transforming the wine from something that has a life of its own to beating it into submission with chemicals and, um, processes that eventually just transform it to, into something else. So I think if we can think of wine as more of a, a, a gastronomic kind of occurrence or as a, um, slightly haphazard, uh, then we will be able to continue to, um, be, uh, interested in these kinds of odd things that keep popping up. Um, now that's asking a lot of, of course, but (laughs) It is. Well, it is, we but, talk. But we, that's we, kind of cool. Yeah, and we talk about like the the predictability and regularity is why you know it, a lot of people's favorite restaurants are McDonald's or Applebee's is because no matter what they will get exactly the same dish, no matter where they go, no matter what they want. The people, I, I think some some consumers really enjoy knowing a certain level of predictability to what they're about to eat, especially if they've you know they spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. It's tricky, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, ah, boy. I mean, I want... (laughs) It's funny. Maybe four years ago or so, I was in the habit of saying to myself, okay, I'm about to drink this wine, and I kind of want it to be more or less exactly what I think it is, because as a psalm, you kind of hope that you're capability of reading the glass is uh accurate to some degree <laughs> like, i don't want to be wrong you're like this is a failing if this is a <laughs> right, yeah. yeah what's wrong with me um yeah. 
<laughs> but now, oh, I am so excited when I taste something that uh, I am not expecting. For sure. And yeah, yeah I, the, yeah. a lot of cool wine out there that is shocking and pleasantly disruptive. And that's really cool. Yeah. I always tell people that's the difference between like, you know, critics and like movie critics and people just going to see a movie on a Saturday is that, you know, movie critics see a ton of movies. And so after a while, they're looking forward to seeing something that kind of surprises them that they haven't seen before that takes them aback. And if you're a person who like, this is the one time this month you're getting to see a movie, you just want a, a good story you want you want on some level in in, mo- in many cases you know just to be entertained mm-hmm. and you don't and and that's not a bad thing i don't think there's a bad thing there but like when when i talk about you know oh wow like i love tar it's a movie that really made me think but if you're someone who like hey it's a two hour and 30 minute long movie about an orchestra conductor that's like <laughs> 20 minute long conversations about the minutia of orchestral politics like, yeah, that that's exciting for me. It may or, like, may, wow, it may, or may not really, intrigue you. To be- this is a really like fascinating thing, but like it, for 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 some people, it's like, well, this is not what I came here for at all. Like, this is not this. And now, not, and, and, I'm not and, here to be surprised by something. I'm yeah, here yeah. to 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 be to be told an interesting story with a good ending and some laughs. And you know, it's you know, the more you love something, the more you want to be surprised by it. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and that's pretty probably pretty common in anything. You know, the more you know, the more you, I mean, I'm like I'm like that with food. You know, when I go to a restaurant, I want somebody to do something that surprises me, or that I'm not going to go through the trouble of ever tackling. Yeah, on my own. Like I watched um, the the I watched the the Great British Baking Show, The Professionals on Netflix, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend. But the judges. 75% of their complaints on that show are, oh, it's a little boring. And I, as just a person who enjoys desserts, is like, how can chocolate and peanut butter be boring? <laughs> <laughs> What's well, wrong with well, you weird, so... joy, weird, joyless dessert snobs? But it's like, <laughs> you know, if you eat as much dessert and pastry as they do, it's like, oh, great, you know, chocolate and peanut butter with a little, you know, crispy, crispy rice in this. How boring, how average. I have this literally every day. What can you show me that I've never had before? It is, it's, you know, it, it, people look for different things. Yeah. So this is, so this is the Great British Baking Show, but the professional, like, not home cooks. Or yeah. Have you, have you not, have you not? I have not. No, oh. I have not seen it. I, yeah, that. We won't get go on about my disillusionments about the Great British Baking Show. Yeah, the last um, season but, was a real. Uh, I was I became disillusioned. <laughs> so no, I have not I have not revisited it in any capacity. But I think it's funny that it would change for professionals because I found them more and more. You know, they would they'd be yelling at the homemakers for making things too out of the ordinary. You know, like oh, <laughs> that's too much rosemary. It's like who says that's too much rosemary? There is a little <laughs> bit of that with the te- with the, especially with like the technical challenges and stuff like that, yeah. where it's like ah, you didn't put the the rosettes in the right place, and I'm just like, who cares what the rosettes are? <laughs> anyway, what's a rosette? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a. I think yeah. Well, that's also it's a good a, question. A piped. A piped. It's a piped flower. Flower. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> Me no, acting I'm like I know that and have ever made a rosette in my life. 
<laughs> well, you we probably never made one, but you watch a lot of Great British Baking Show. And I, I really, I really I enjoy still it. love the concept of it because it is so kind. Um, yeah, it's flawed, but comfort food at this point. Um, yeah, but I, but I really, I'd, I'd want to watch the first five seasons. I think more than the latest ones. I think that's where they got the new host. They got a new co-host this season. This I know who's going to be who's going to replace Matt. We don't know. It's so interesting. They, I they named they named her just last week. Oh, they and, did. Oh, okay. yeah. I I don't recognize her, but I think I I think I speak for many people. I I don't think I'll be missing Matt Lucas. He's just a he seems he seems like a good person. I think he's a decent person. I think sometimes he's funny. I'm not offended by him, but I I just his level of comedy is is very like over the like broad British, and I it's don't know super British. <laughs> it's very yeah, British. and like not like yes. the fun like fun like ooh like witty British. Like it's very broad. British comedy. It's it's. I mean, the British. It's not the British that Americans typically like. Like yeah, I. It's I the like British my, comedy that only, only the British people understand. I watch British comedy to feel sophisticated. You know, <laughs> I, I watch, I watch it to chortle at things knowingly and go, ha ha ha, what a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, and I just watch it so I can speak in a bad British accent. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there we go. We should ask the most important question uh, of all the podcast questions. We saved the most important one for last. Where can people find you guys, both in reality and in virtuality? Yeah. Social maybe. media slash the internet. <laughs> maybe virtual reality. <laughs> or maybe virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to do funny wordplay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> which uh, which metaverse reality? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are located at 605 West Virginia Street in the historic Walker's Point neighborhood. So right there on the corner of 6th and Virginia, across the street from Great Lakes Distillery and Conejitos. Uh, you can find us online at ThelmaCarolWine.com. And then we're also on Instagram, ThelmaCarolWine. Uh, we're on Facebook, too. So there, that's where that's where we live um, on the internet webs and the social media apps. <laughs> the Webernets. That's where we live on the www. World Wide Web. Yes. <laughs> well, and so our website has a calendar of events that goes out hopefully about a month. Um, and that will show all of the tastings that we do every Thursday. Uh, every Thursday we taste wine or something. It's usually wine. 6 to 8 p.m. It's rather casual so you can kind of just come in whenever you want as long as you're there before eight um and then in addition to those things on thursdays we do have kind of a much more grandiose uh set of events that happen uh every quarter we call them festivals although it's not the best word i don't anyway uh they're they're (laughs) large format tasting uh events yeah, it sounds so like a festival. It sounds like a festival of sorts. Fest sounds best. Yeah, fest sounds best. So the last one <laughs> we did was 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 Bubbles Fest. Uh, the first one we ever did was Franck Fest, which we poured eighteen different Cab Francs. Uh, then, I am so sorry I missed that. I'm so sorry. Oh, we'll do another one. Cab Franc is so fun. Yeah, oh yeah, we'll do another Franck Fest for sure. And I haven't I I haven't drank nearly enough of it. Drinking, I haven't uh, drunk nearly enough of it. It's Sorry. it's easily probably my favorite uh, red red wine grape easily across the board. 
because um, it can be so diverse and dynamic and different in all in the way that it's vinified. So you did uh, so, say, I, I'm not imagining this, but you said you'd do it again. We yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> we'll do so. Yeah. <laughs> um, our next, our next dream come large, true. Yeah, our, our next large scale tasting will be May 13th. So that's the Saturday of Mother's Day weekend. Um, and we're calling it Flora and the Fauna. It's going to be a spring wine and vermouth tasting. So we're going to be doing 20 different pours then. Um, and then in November, we're going to be doing a Pinot Noir Fest, which we're calling Noir Soir. So we're going to be pouring probably 20 different Pinot Noirs. Um, and that'll be early November, right before the holidays. So you can get all your your Thanksgiving wines and stuff already and or Christmas. Yeah. And, and, get, some, and get some good Pinot Noir. Because I know, you know, like, that's a world, too, where... Huge world. Yeah, yeah. So we will. We will only be pouring wonderful Pinot Noir. Germany <laughs> Germany produces a lot of really great Pinot Noir. So we're going to bring some of those to the table. Yeah. Germany? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is C. I I learned a few things today. But yay, that's one of them. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. I would not look in the German section. For pe- yeah, so when you're in the German section, look for something called Spätburgunder because that's what Pinot Noir is. Say that one more time. Spät- I say it right, honey. Spätburgunder. Spätburgunder. Yeah. Spätburgunder. Yeah. Spätburgunder. Late, yeah. late Burgundy is what the sound translates. Yeah. 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 My ge- my German is is not um, my German language skills are not great. But I love the Germans. I love the language because it never sounds like what it is. Yeah. Spoppergunder, which I probably just mutilated, um, (laughs) sounds like, I don't know, a piece of clothing. Yeah. (laughs) Put on your Spoppergunder. Or like a a strange cucumber. uh, Yeah. Sure. Sure. Whatever. But anyway. But unfortunately, we're going to have to Alvira Zane. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us and for, for teaching us more about wine in your awesome store. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much Matt. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, so. And we could and we, we could probably talk to you forever, but you know, this way people can come and visit you. Yeah. We'll leave discussion. a couple of things unanswered. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I already got mauled once by a dog during this podcast. I'm <laughs> afraid what might happen. <laughs> No, it's all happening if we go longer. So he is, he is, everyone's saying he's getting anyway. irritable. He's yeah, hearing but, about all this wine. And he's like, I am a dog. I cannot appreciate that. Thank you, thank you for joining us. But, we are dog friendly yeah. as well, just as a side. Oh, perfect. Yes, so we are dog puppy. friendly. Yep, bring the puppy. And, and kitty friendly if your kitty comes out of the house with you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I always say, say we're dog friendly if, you're, if your dog is friendly. Yeah. For sure. Yep. <laughs> And when the patio opens in a couple of weeks, that'll even be more opportunity to bring your furry friend along with. It'll be dog friendliest. Yeah. Bubbles and bubbles and pups and pups. That's right. Yes. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah, let's call the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was an awesome conversation. I've learned so much about wine this month. Which is that, both poorly for my yeah, yeah, both poorly for my liver, so. but great for my taste buds. <laughs> That's totally true. That's why we have to we have to like you know block in some NA content too. You know, like <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, because even uh, even talking about it makes my liver feel a little strange. <laughs> 
Which, speaking of uh, other content uh, and articles about NA and stuff like that, Lori, where can people find other episodes of the Food Crush Podcast? Yeah. Well, you found the Food Crush Podcast, um, and we are available everywhere where podcasts can be found. But we are also available on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, um, where we'll sometimes give you a little bit more than just podcasts. Yeah, you have to follow. To find. I'm trying to find trying to find a Sunny D hard seltzer to try, but apparently it's like trying to find the Holy Grail. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it would be that worth. Like the Holy Grail should be something like amazing. You know? How dare you? It's definitely alcoholic something. Laura, where can people, people, where can people find your stuff? Where oh. can people find Lori Frederick? Um, you can find me also Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, mostly talking about food, but sometimes okay. beverages. And where can people find you? You can find me at a man about film on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, probably talking about movies and basketball and I don't know, life stuff. Life stuff. Yeah. My dog who mauled me during the recording of this podcast. <laughs> but adorably though. It was an adorable mauling. And, and mauling is is it's probably a just strong word. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a very strong little puppy. Little guy. He's got a lot of strong cuteness. Anyways, this has been the Food Crush Podcast. Thank you to our awesome editors slash producers. Thank you to my co-host, Lori Frederick. Thank you to our awesome guests. And most importantly, thank you to you. you. Listen. You! <laughs> you got what we need. Yeah. And what we need is listeners. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Food Crush Podcast. Because as always, keep cooking.